I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. Uh, today I am filming from the apartment of one of my dear friends, uh, Kevin, who uh, is also known to me as Mr. Addison, as in The Matrix. He's the one, if you think about him, he's the kindest human I know who's ever been a banker. And he spent his entire life as a banker, but yet he's amazing. Uh, in so many ways. We had a plan to go to a Roger Waters uh, concert back in June where he failed to meet the plan. He bought the tickets though. And so I ended up going with a plus one that was recommended by our two other friends uh, who turned out to be a wonderful human being, such a wonderful coincidence. The first time she met me, she knew of me and so when she hugged me, she said, oh my God, you smell so good. And I have to say, that must have been the best compliment I have ever received. Honestly, I felt, how does one be so open about their emotions? It's really wonderful. Then I asked her, what do you do? And she said, I founded a Mental Health Rebellion. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, I was in the corporate world for a very long time. And uh, with all the success, I felt I needed more and I couldn't do it. So I started to do it, to teach people how to do it when they are occupied in this very busy life by allowing them to curse while they meditate. I said, you have to be on my podcast. <laughs> my guest today is Amy Polly. Amy trains those of us who are busy in life to find a path to peace. Her personal story is actually quite common, though very, very rarely admitted to. She took her from depression to calm and peace to teaching others how to get there. One of my new but wonderful, wonderful friends. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Amy Polly. There you are. I spilled the beans. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> it was a great concert. It was. Thank you for being so kind. <laughs> and uh, it was also, I should say in the introduction, that you did not know about Pink Floyd and Roger Waters before you came to the concert. My education has started. Yeah, we all do sins in life, so I hope you've <laughs> repented by now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A good fan of Pink Floyd? <laughs> good, good. So, oh, she's, she's not, probably, but she's unable to lie. It was a very interesting experience because I have to admit, Amy, that you represent to me a lot of paradoxes that I adore about the feminine. I asked you midway through our conversation what you did in the corporate world, and you said finance and accounting. And yet you're a total rebel, total rebel. You come across as a very jolly and happy and playful and fun person, but you said that you were uh, going through a deep depression at a point in time. And I think those uh, paradoxes really make a human who they are, but they, they, all, they also, I think, position us in an interesting way uh, to hide. But you don't hide. You just are out there talking about all of it. So maybe tell the story to the rest of the world, not just to me, of, uh, of what got you to where you are. Okay. Where even to begin? Yes, good point. I think where I will begin is I'll just do a little bit of the the sort of work life slightly because I know that's where everybody always goes and that doesn't make a person, but I think it's just an important little piece of the journey. So I did well in school. That's I wanted to make my parents proud and when the option to go to university arose I did not want to leave my family I didn't want to go to university even though everybody else was doing it and I just had a really lovely conversation with my mum 
I stood in the living room, I remember it still now, and said, I don't want to go, what shall I do? And she said, you can do anything you want to do. And I enjoyed this business course. And I said to her, I've really enjoyed doing this. I've been doing like secretarial studies, business admin. And she just went, but you could be the person who has that admin. Like, why don't you think about accountancy or solicitor or a career path? And I just went, okay. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that's what I did. I wrote yeah. a letter to the local accountancy firm, got onto their training program uh, straight away. And that was my career for 19 years. Um, but my final... And I know that you say I don't seem like an accountant, by the way, but I think that's where the rebellion started because I really prided myself on being just me. And I've told you this story before, but I had a pink car. I used to turn up to a million pound audits in my pink car. And it's not like I don't (laughs) care. It's just that I can't not be me. And what happened was that invites other people to be them. And so... Does it really? I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone in the audit would go like, should we trust her? Trust her judgment on this audit. They trusted audit. me, I promise. Mm-hmm. It just opened the doors for people to um, be honest if they needed some help. So my clients would want me to, to teach them things in a simple way. That's what I did when I was an accountant. And that's what I do as a mindfulness teacher. I just simplify things. I just make it relatable for you. We don't have to do everything in the same way all of the time. And anyway, fast forward, my final role before I left corporate was with the fire service. And your reason for getting up in the morning, my reason for getting up in the morning changed. I wasn't working for someone's bottom line anymore. I was in service to people and I absolutely bloody loved it. And so I think that set me on the path of realising that actually it wasn't spreadsheets that Lit me up. Lit me up inside. (laughs) It was people, but I think all the way through my career, I just always felt like I was making a little bit of a difference. I was improving things, even even if it was businesses and accounts. And and then when I was in the fire service, I got the opportunity to work in employee engagement. I then got the opportunity to work in mental health and wellbeing, and that just solidified everything for me. That this is what I should be doing. My mindfulness journey had started for me personally, and it all just started to come together. And I just realized that I didn't want to sit at a desk creating spreadsheets and accounts. I wanted to go and share with people what I had learned through my mindfulness journey, through my mental health journey. And so I just thought, Fuck it, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I left my 19-year career. Uh-huh. And was there, a, was there a moment like you woke up one day and said, that's it, not doing this anymore? Not quite, almost. There was a moment whilst I was still in corporate that I went to a mindfulness for managers session, mm. uh, a day session in a hotel with a guy in a grey suit regurgitating mindfulness to us and I'd already started practicing that's horrible look if you had never done anything like that before it was okay but I just sat there and I think that was a catalyst I think that that lit something in me because I'd already been practicing and I'd been sort of supporting my mum through depression and as I sat there I thought "He's, he's just not quite getting it and when I left I thought I could do that and so something <laughs> yeah. obviously there was that little ignition like you know something just ignited and then over the next couple of years I kept thinking about it I started studying a bit more I started to, to do my diploma in mindfulness and meditation and then after Covid after you know deciding to split with the father of my child and having been through Covid and just realizing really realizing that life is too short that when I had the moment when I just thought I'm sitting here and I don't want to do this. I'm staring at a laptop and I don't want to do what I'm doing. So I'm not going to do it anymore. So, so, so many people go through life that way, Amy. So I know you reasonably well now. We've spent many hours together, not many days yet, but I hope we will. And you, you really are not the kind of person that can be sat on a desk to do accounting, honestly. Right? I, I mean, say yes, right? Yes. <laughs> Correct. But you did it for 19 years. So how do we end up in that trap of waking up every morning? I mean, with all due respect, 19 years is a quite a big chunk of one's life. Of your adult life, it's almost, you know, 70% of your adult life, right? In a very interesting way, we get stuck in that. And day one is a little scary, day two is a little stressful. And then suddenly you find that you're at day 17,140. What happened with my life? How, how do you wake up every morning and do something that is so opposite to who you are? So I actually think that now sort of forgetting about the corporate career and thinking about my personal journey, 
I had that real desire in me to make my parents proud and to, to do that thing, which is where I started. You know, I was going to do this job and I was going to study and I was going to qualify and I was going to progress. And th that is where it started, which I suppose is a, sort of a normal desire to have. And you think we're on this track, aren't you? you finish school, you get a job and blah, blah, blah. But what happened for me personally was when I was going through a period of distress, so this was way before I joined the fire service. This was, this was way before um, I was in industry. This was my sort of origin story for finding mindfulness. I was going through a period of stress in my relationship at the time, the work that I was doing, and I, as you do, go on a certain search engine in the middle of the night and find ways that I can sleep better because my sleep was affected. I'm sure a lot of people know that and have experienced that. Um, when you're stressed out, you, you don't fall asleep very well and you don't sleep very well. And I, I stumbled across mindfulness meditation and Within two night, two or three nights of putting on a meditation to help me fall asleep, within a week, I started to feel that I was sleeping better. I just thought, well, this is bloody amazing. I need to know everything about it. So I bought the book and I, I signed up to a course and, you know, blah, blah, blah. On that journey, this, this self-awareness is what I feel has carried me through life now for me to be able to make these decisions that are good for me. Because as you say, we're on autopilot. A lot of the time we're just going through we're just doing that job but I started to cultivate this self-awareness so then I got to a point where I can't ignore the impact this is having on me I'm, I'm very self-aware and as that journey starts we can get very deeply spiritual as you start to realize these things I, I'm like the gateway drug to get there but when you start on that journey you can't ignore what feels wrong and uncomfortable when you're on autopilot and you're just getting through the days, it's so easy to do that. But when you start to be more self-aware, when you start to be aware of the world around you, when you start to know yourself, and when you start to realise your desires or the things that you don't like, it's really hard to ignore that, actually. And that's the point that I got to. I couldn't ignore that anymore. So I did it for a long time, and it still took me a little while to, to take the jump because change can feel scary, right? Mm. But then when you do it, like you say, you take one foot out and then you back in again. I started to do a, like, a bit of a side hustle, as they say. Mm. And I started to experience what it was like and I really enjoyed it. And so then I started to do a bit more. But every time you go outside of that comfort zone and you do something that you really feel in your heart and your gut that you should be doing, even if it's uncomfortable, it's like bloody amazing. And you want more of that. And then you can't sit back in the chair at the desk in the whatever that is for you, that comfort zone. Um, and that's what I did. It all stemmed from that self-awareness that mindfulness that practice just trying things a little bit differently i'm i'm <laughs> actually i'm actually reflecting on this very differently i mean i i'm not shy to always talk about my personal life on slow-mo and you know something that has not worked perfectly well for me over the last you know since my separation with my wonderful ex is love and romance where i get to meet wonderful women who are really a blessing in every possible way but it just doesn't work out. And, you know, it's interesting as you describe it that I feel it's not a comfort zone at all because it's not a very comfortable feeling at all, falling in love and breaking your heart and falling in love and breaking your heart. But in a way, you get systemically drawn back into, okay, that one didn't work. Maybe if I, get, I, find, if I find one in blue, it will be better. Or, you know, maybe if I find one that speaks a different language, you know. And... To me, it was so eye-opening. So I did a nine-month monkhood, my own definition of being a monk, if you want, because, you know, I wasn't wearing robes. I wasn't in a... In oh, a you national. rebel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, little rebel me. Uh, but I do, I do that with everything. I do that with my silent retreats and so on. I have one coming up and it's really, uh, it's really, to me, is, you know, I, I think that the, the, the practice is designed for a lot of benefits but that I can distill it down to my own needs at the time and take you know, the parts of the practice that fit that benefit. And it was probably one of the best experiences of my life. It was so eye-opening, but also so almost rejuvenating. It's, it was like, oh my God, there is another way to live, right? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just out of a, of a breakup with a wonderful, wonderful human being, but sadly, you know, it didn't work out. And, and in my current thinking, the first thing I think about is, okay, uh, you know, back to the normal, out of the comfort zone, into the comfort zone, out of the comfort zone, into the comfort zone. 
And suddenly I'm saying, no, there must be other ways of living. And, and I think most people don't get that chance unless they're sort of literally kicked into it, if you know what I mm. mean. You were kicked into that because you had a very serious depression heading into COVID. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? So actually what I'm talking about now is my postnatal anxiety, which it does differ slightly to depression, but it's still linked to maternal mental health, which I think isn't talked about enough. That's why it's I talk about, about it. not talked about enough at all. No. Yeah. And I hadn't even heard the term postnatal anxiety. And it is the hardest thing that I've ever done becoming a mother, even though I'd wanted to be a mum for my whole life. I always knew that I wanted to be a mum. And then when it happened, it completely knocked me for six because it wasn't what I expected. And I really struggled. And when even just from the birth, which was traumatic in itself because it didn't quite go to plan, I didn't have that magical moment that everybody talks about. Uh, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, it was so magical. And I was, I absolutely did not feel like that for me. And that moment after giving birth, it doesn't last long until you are home now with a small life to look after, with no instruction manual, all these hormones ranging in your body, complete lack of sleep. And I just did not handle it I just could not handle it and considering that I was quite away on with my mindfulness journey my self-awareness you know I'm thankful actually that I had that because I was very aware that I was not okay hence I could ask for help I think about people who don't have that or, or don't have people that could help them that makes me really sad because it is categorically the hardest thing I've ever done and that postnatal anxiety stopped me from doing things that I would normally do and I guess when you've been through something like that it makes you feel like when I feel okay, I want to grab life by the tips is what I always say with my friends because honestly, it was awful. And when it's something as well around, you know, having a child that should should be, you know, the most amazing thing in the world and it isn't. And I, and I know so many that when I've opened up, they have shared their story as well, that it also wasn't this magical, amazing thing. And it was really bloody hard. So that we have to bring this to the surface. So I actually think that most women really struggle, most mothers really struggle. And there is somehow that pressure mm -hmm. that you have to show up in front of your mother-in-law and in front of society and say, oh, look at the gift and the blessing I have been given. Right? No, I said to some of my best friends when I was struggling, because I am such an open person anyway, some of them said, I would explain what was going on. And a couple of my best friends said to me, who already had children a bit older, I was a bit late, later in the group, Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I really felt that. But, you know, you just get on with it. Don't. And I was thinking, why is everybody just getting on with it and not talking to each other? Because maybe I wouldn't have felt so alone in the beginning or, or that this is so because it's actually not strange to struggle when you take a baby. We need to have more support for this time in our life. That is such a huge change. And we don't. And people... I think are talking about it a bit more now, but how is it that some of my best friends hadn't told me that they were struggling? Because yeah. it's, it's a not brave only face. that they're not struggling, they have to pretend yes. that it's amazing. Brave face. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to say openly when, you know, when I had my uh, Ali, my first child, and people were like, oh, hold it. I was like, I'm not going to be able to. Like, I'm really scared. I really was. This, he was so fragile, mm -hmm. and I'm a freaking manly man who at the time was quite athletic and I was like I'll break it like seriously I'll break it and and people would go like don't be like train me people teach me something don't just tell me to do it right so this is a very serious I believe one of the very serious reasons for unhappiness I think in marriages and relationships and for women right so can you just list very quickly in your mind you said hormones raging, pressure of responsibility. The experience itself wasn't, was a bit traumatic, like birth and so on, and it didn't go as smooth as it is. What other reasons would cause a woman to be struggling in that stage? The thing is, I don't think we always have to know why someone is struggling. We just need to know that they are, because it is really hard to articulate that sometimes. I still actually struggle sometimes to articulate why that is, because... The rational part of me 
could completely explain that there's nothing to be worried about. But that anxiety that I felt at the time when I was crying over making a bottle and shaking because I was terrified of doing something wrong and the baby being poorly because I hadn't sterilised the bottle properly or whatever. How, how can I rationally tell you why, why that was happening? I, do you see what I mean? I, I think that I it's important mean. for people to know that there isn't always a, why is this happening? Yeah. I do think the, that the raging hormones is... is is absolutely a valid reason. We've just been through so much change. Then we come home, we don't have an instruction manual. We have, no offence to the guys in the room, or, or but the partner that hasn't been through the birth or those changes sometimes can't understand it. So um, we're not or, very good. Always. And we're not very good at communicating sometimes yeah. as humans. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily think it matters the reason why. I think it's what we actually do with the situation that we've got. What did you do? So... Communication was the first thing. Yeah. I had to notice that I was struggling, which I was pretty good at, and then I had to tell someone that I was struggling. So my mum was there and my partner was there. And I even said sometimes, I don't know exactly why I feel like this, but this is how I feel. I feel terrified. I feel exhausted and I just don't, I just don't feel okay. And I don't always need an answer, but you just need to know there is someone there with you. So that if you do drop the book, that someone's going to help you out. So that was the first thing. The second thing was I had therapy. I don't think there's any shame in having therapy. I think sometimes you just need to talk to someone. Um, I had RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy, as well, um, which really helped because if I, I, I felt a change in that after I'd had that and I was able to then go to the coffee shop with my granddad who passed away soon after. If I hadn't have done that, I might not have had coffee with my baby and my granddad you know so um I think that's the thing is asking for help but it has to start with that it's okay to do that and it's not just talking it's you know it's action do you know what I'm trying to say and it starts with that self-awareness so self-awareness communication asking for help like that action you can't just keep doing the same thing all of a like we need to do something different um because I could have wallowed in that I could have really let that take me um, and, and it happens for, I, I know so many people that will come to me 15 years later and say, since the day we had children, it hasn't been the same. And, you know, we had not been close as partners. We had not been able to, you know, and, and it's, it, it happens way more often than I'd like to uh, believe it that it does, but it, it does. And then we layer on that blaming ourselves. I mean, in mindfulness teaching, we talk about self-compassion. It's so important because then we blame ourselves or we blame the other person. Uh, and compassion is so important, that, you know, for us to be able to talk and to say, we're in this together, like, even just as human beings, not even just with your partner, but we're in this together. How can we do this better? Rather than it being a fight all the time, whether that's a fight with yourself and your own mind or a fight with the person in the room or, or whatever. I, I just think there is a lot to be said for actually having that compassion for yourself. You're going through a tough time. Things are not working out. Let's not layer on, you know, beating yourself up and, and shame and guilt and all that. Let's, let's try to help each other, help yourself and help each other. We just don't seem very good at that sometimes. <laughs> we'll come back to this, but let me switch to your other life as well, because we don't seem to be very good at having someone who's living the stressful corporate life actually find calm and peace at all. Mm. You know, when you and I were chatting about this, you basically said we're teaching mindfulness the wrong way for the audience that we're teaching it to. So what is the wrong way? What do you think is the right approach? Okay, so I'm just going to have to say, Mo, because I don't want to offend anyone. It's not a right and wrong way. It's just that. If you have been on your own journey and then you decide to teach, quite often you forget how far along your journey that you are and that that place is a very hard place to begin. And so I think what we see in a lot of media and social media is there are no problems when you're present, only peace. You know, these little quotes that you see. Um, there was even like a TV advert that said something about sometimes you can't be quiet and mindful or something like that or that you know there are no traumatic events only the way you think about them and I'm not saying that there isn't an essence of truth in some of those things I'm just saying that if you're over here in a really shitty situation is that going to really help someone is I, I get I get that quite a lot actually so when I when when I when I speak about you know uh, it's not you know the events of life that stress you it's the way you deal with them that does and I explain exactly that you could deal with them differently very I have never done a post around something like that 
without people saying, well, I get it. I think you're right, but I don't know how, mm -hmm. right? It's, mm -hmm. it's so different when you're in it and you've done it for many years and your neuroplasticity has changed and you're really good at it, uh, when you tell it to other people, they go like, what are you talking about? It's like going to someone and saying, it's very easy to make a car. You know, it's, no, it's not. Like, you know, if you're a mechanic and you've made, you fixed a few cars in your life, you know how, but if you haven't, you don't know, you don't have a clue. No, and, and you know, we have all been in really shitty, tough situations. I have, you have, we all have. We learn about things as we go along. We know some of these things. No one's telling lies. Uh, by the way, I just should stop you now. I think you've already been granted the maximum number of swears on my show <laughs> ever. You've done, you've Did done, I just swear again? You, yeah, you've done three so far. <laughs> okay, and you had a very good variety. I think there was a couple of fucking, you know, shit. I was a bollock chef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, well done. So you have now the Guinness <laughs> World Record. And, and you, you just slide them in so... <laughs> They don't feel offensive, honestly. But yes, go ahead. So now you're you're the offend. winner. You don't need to do more if you don't. You Thank know, if you. You're, if you are just hitting for the title. I do like a gold star. Thank you very much. <laughs> but you know, feel free to be yourself. We'll count at the end. <laughs> Everybody is going through something, and I think that this is this is the thing for me, particularly some if, shitty thing you mentioned. Shitty thing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Go if ahead. you are going through, and if you are in the corporate world, like. If you're in the corporate world, if you're in, in a stressed out situation, if you are in a situation that feels painful, like I teach, I understand we, the, the difference between pain and suffering, the, mm. the first arrow and the second arrow, totally get that. But it's really, I nearly did another swear word then, it's really, it's really invalidating to hear you're basically causing your own suffering. Even though we know that that is true, it, that can be really unhelpful at the time and I've worked with a lot of different people I volunteer for my local mental health charity so I'm I'm working with people that are in suffering you have to get them from the beginning of the journey and you have to remember where you're at I'm down here but I bring I keep bringing myself back to the beginning because that's where most people are when I'm dealing with them in a corporate environment when I go into organizations and speak or teach or if I'm going into schools or if I'm at the mental health charity, I have to be at the beginning with them. And that's why I guess I say the rebellion. It's not like there's a wrong way. It's just that the floaty dresses and the mountain tops and the clouds and the rainbows and the calm, you know, om, it, that's not all that mindfulness is about. Yeah. Mindfulness is an awareness, awareness of what is going on in you and around you. And it's, it's a practice of curiosity. Mm. I like to bring in some playfulness, but you can't get someone to that place without starting where they're at. And that's what I love, I love, love to do. And I've watched it so many times. It's happened for me in my own life and I've watched it happen for other people and I absolutely bloody love it. But, but for me, a lot of the time mindfulness is distilled down into meditation. Mindfulness isn't just meditation. Or, you know, you have to have a, a baseline personality of calm and you have to be in a certain place at a certain time. And it's all about emptying your mind. That's another... Yeah, bullshit and, and, thing and your voice you has know. to be different and you, yeah, <laughs> yeah you have to be a little don't get me wrong yeah. when i when i lead a meditation i am completely in the zone and you know i i've, I've been told that i have a lovely voice in meditation and people like listening to them but we will be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're teaching and interacting with people you have to understand your audience and it makes me sad to think that people are not going to get the power of this and I want them to. So I'm going to do it my way and it's a little bit different. <laughs> and how, how different is it? I think I was thinking about, obviously I knew that I was coming to speak to you and I was thinking about this. I feel like I've just had that, I say rebellion or rebellious, it's not even that, it's just embracing being a bit different mm. and whatever that means to you. But when it comes to teaching mindfulness, I just think that it turns people off if you are not honest with them, if you are not realistic. And my honest and realistic is this. You can still say, and shit, you can get angry, you can get upset, you can be emotional, you can think things in life are really, really bad, but you can still have a mindfulness practice, you can still help yourself, you can still have this proactive care for your mental health. You do not have to be calm all the time. You do not have to sit cross-legged. You do not have to be spilling your guts to everybody, especially in the corporate world. Uh, just to say to someone, I know you might think this is bollocks, but you're here now. 
let's give it a go. And usually people are like, oh, okay. If I'm allowed to be me, I can listen really, right? Yeah. yeah this, this is a very, very interesting way of putting it because I always thought that what turned me off, and I, and I actually stand corrected because what you said is probably a lot more eloquent than the way I would say it is. What would turn me off is that sometimes those who assume the position of teaching are actually not qualified to teach. So they wear the persona. So they, you know, they have the white fluffy dress and, and they have the, the Californian voice and, you know, they're speaking at a tempo that is slower than the rest of us. And in my mind, and I have to admit, and I apologize that I was judgmental. I was saying, if you're assuming the persona, then there is a bit of ego in it. And if there is a bit of ego in it, then you might not be qualified to teach yet. But the way you say it is actually quite beautiful and much more forgiving, I think. Because you're saying we are at different stages of the spectrum, right? And some of us will start from a very angry place and along the way, hopefully to reach Buddhahood someday, right? Along the way, you become calmer and calmer. And that when you're calm and dealing with someone who's angry, you're really not very effective at all. Mm. Because they can't see themselves in you. They can't, they see can't themselves connect with in what you. you're talking. Yeah. That's, that's really it. a beautiful yeah. way of saying it. And even now, I mean, you've hung out with me a bit and you say, even though I'm high energy and, and excitable, there is an underlying calmness there because I've been practicing for yeah. years. Yeah. But I think it's really important for people to know that I am still an imperfect human being. I think often that, and probably I've even been through moments of this where I feel like I have to portray a certain thing, you know, that you see, it just didn't feel right to me. The, the whole white dress and it just didn't feel right. I just had to be me. And I think that that is what I've run with. I've run with this, this thing of I am not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I found something that has changed my life. It's changed my outlook in life. It has helped me through some really difficult times. And I want other people to have that. I want that so, so much. And I think with the mental health speaking that I do and going into organisations and talking about that story, we know that suicide is one of the... We're in a situation, basically, where we, we cannot ignore the statistics. Yeah, 100%. And when we're talking about mental health, we have to realise that there is a different way to do things. And if we think about those who are most li likely to take their own life, it is men between the age of something like 25 and 45. So how are we getting to those people? It's not going to be someone turning up, even if they, if, if this is completely honestly them turning up, like you say, we're just going to arrive. We're just going to arrive, which is, I've experienced that. But for some people, that's beautiful and lovely. And they are in that place to, to walk into a room and say, we're just going to take a few moments to arrive. But there's going to be some people that need me to come in and, and say, hi, here's, you know, my slide has got an emoji of a poo on it and, and, and things like that. Just do it a bit differently. Does poo count as curse? No. Nope. Okay, all right. right. <laughs> Does so that make sense? Six. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? We have to get to the people that need the help. And so that means different things because you can't help all of the people all the time. You can't do one size fits all. I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That's absolutely fine. But I know that there are people that need me, as my friends call me, the gateway drug, who, who want to get on that, who, who need some help. Mindfulness isn't this woo-woo spiritual thing. It's, it's bloody awesome. I love it. And anybody can do it. And, and that's what I want people to understand. Everybody can do it is a very interesting one. I, one thing that I have to say, I spoke to you on the times we met about that idea of the paradoxes that you are, right? So in a very interesting way, when you let yourself be vulnerable or when you let yourself say, I'm not perfect, or when you let yourself say, this is stupid or whatever that is, in a very interesting way, compared to the personas that the world imposes on us, you're almost telling some of your corporate clients, I'm not qualified because that's not what they're looking for. They have a, a very specific persona in mind for the person that's going to come and save them, right? Or at least that's going to come and tick the box mm -hmm. on we've done you know, well-being in the corporate, right? How do you balance that? You know, the idea of, yeah, by the way, I'm not perfect. And yes, by the way, I get angry sometimes. And yes, by the way, I struggle as a human. And yes, by the way, I'm on my journey too. 
but I have something to give you. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? Isn't that everyone? But it's, you know, it's a world of fake it till you make it, <laughs> right? But I am really good at my job and I am really good at teaching. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm honest about the fact that I'm not perfect doesn't mean I'm not going to do a good job. Yeah, it's just, it just takes a, a very rebellious spirit to actually say, I don't care what you think of me. This is me. This is how it is. And, uh, and yeah, by the way, if you, if, you, if you want me to help, I will. But it's, it's not what most people will do. Most people will just wear the dress code. I have been there. I know I haven't mentioned my age yet, but I'm nearly 40. So it's not like I'm still learning. Who does and- that? Who does that on a podcast? We should... Don't edit this out, guys. Just actually play it twice, all right? <laughs> no, no, let's put it in the, uh, in the intro. I'm nearly 40. You're doing well for 40, darling. Well done, yeah. But, but, but I've, had, I've just had lots of experience. I've done that thing. I've yeah. done that thing of trying to be something that I'm not. And I've done that thing of masking. I've done that thing of putting the, the suit on and everything else. And who am I pleasing here? I love that quote that I should be the leading lady in my own life. I think it's off um, the holiday or whatever. Mm. And, and that's true. And, and I know, again, thinking about that beginning of that journey for people, I know that isn't easy for everyone. But the more of us that do it, the more accepted that becomes because actually if you look at the feedback from my work feedback's good yeah feedback's good because I'm just being an imperfect human which we all are so I appreciate that people are going to have certain criteria and I'm not going to fit that all that's fine when I told someone about my hashtag being grab life by the tits and I might say a swear word <laughs> is there a hashtag uh, called that? I do put I put that on quite a few things yeah I had co- <laughs> I did an event once and I had cookies made that were little boobs that, that said grab life by the tits so British by the way <laughs> Yeah. When I, when I was working at Google, a cultural lesson here, guys. So when I was at Google, we had this incredible, incredible PR, head of PR who, you know, was trying to explain to Google California the, the cultural differences. And of course, my region was quite complicated, but we didn't talk about all of those issues. She used the example between Britain and America. And she said, well, you in America will get very shocked if we say tits, and we in the UK will get really shocked if we talk about guns, right? <laughs> it's quite, quite. A, I, I remember that because it's, it's you know, c- cursing is different in different countries in the world. But I will, however, count that female part. I will count that as a curse as well. So okay, you're now up to you 10. you can add that <laughs> into the count. And yeah. sorry, Mo, I was just going to say one more thing around the, you know, the corporate and, and just being who I am. And so you say that in the corporate world. I don't think I've said grab life by the tip. I use it on my social media and things like that. Okay. But I mean, at my event, I absolutely did. That's my event. So I'm absolutely going to say whatever I want. Inside my journal that I wrote, it's got, it's got it in there as well. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that oh, when it comes to this sort of stuff, we often feel like we have to be so serious. And I just don't agree. And I think that a lot of work around mental health in the workplace and, you know, um, even sometimes around mindfulness, because it's the workplace, it has to be done in a certain way. Why? Who says that? Why do all of the courses have to be the same? Why does it all have to be done so sometimes it's a bit it's a bit boring? And I just think we can shake it up a little bit. Why do we have to do things the same? Laughter connects us, you yeah. know. And if I can talk about mental health and suicide and looking after yourself and we have laughter in the room... There's nothing better than that. That stays with people. You build connections. Mm. And I don't care if people are laughing at me or with me. I, d- I don't care. As long as you're laughing, that, that makes mm. me happy. And yeah. uh, in a recent session that I did, um, one of the uh, directors was there. And she said at the end of the day, it was just so nice to hear people laughing. I believe that at work. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You know Ruby Wax, right? Yes. Yes, Ruby. I met Ruby. Ruby Wax at the Mindful Living show years ago when I first started on my mindfulness She's journey. She's a superstar, I think. And, and I, I hosted her here on, on Slow Mo a, a long time back, actually, probably 2021 or something, 2020 maybe even. And we were supposed to speak at a certain day. She was in South Africa. I was, I think, in Dubai or somewhere. And we were supposed to speak over Zoom. And we started the conversation and, and she was really not in the mood. I was like, Ruby, do you want to do this another day? And she said, yeah, I didn't have my coffee. Can we do it another day, right? And I was like, sure, let's do it another day. When? And she said, Sunday. It was a Friday, I think. And I, I said, okay, I'll send you coffee. And she said, no way. 
right? And I said, no, no, I'll send you coffee. And my, my friend Bella was in Cape Town at the time. So she said, no, they don't deliver coffee here in Cape Town. And I, I, I actually had Bella knock her door five minutes before the podcast <laughs> and deliver the exact cappuccino she asked for. And so she was in such a good mood. And we had the best mental health conversation I could ever think of because there was, she, she, so half, halfway through the conversation, she said something and a story about something that she was struggling with and so on. And then she said, yeah, I guess that was one of my whore moments. And I, and I was like, oh, uh, interesting. What other whore moments were there? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and and I and I, and I and we actually had like a very long conversation, truly with her, her beautiful vulnerability, around all of the things that she went through in life that led her to her depression. Sometimes led her to, you know, and and how she dealt with them, and sometimes in stupid ways, sometimes in very clever ways, and you know, and she at the end of the of the podcast, she was saying. Maybe I should have an, another book that's called My Whore Moments. I was like, she that would, yeah, yeah, that would be that would be an absolute bestseller. But how wonderful you connect that this connection it, right? over laughter, and you, I, you would still have got the same essence of more. the story. But yeah, you definitely yeah. get more. Yeah, you definitely get more. Yeah, but not everybody is good at it because everyone is faking it until they make it. Everyone is wearing the persona. Everyone is hacking you know, their, their spiritual image. They're trying to be out there and say, look at me, I'm the guru because I'm dressed like the guru. So you should listen to the guru. When in reality, you know, it's so more, so much more interesting to just say, I'm human, just like you human. So why don't we connect as humans? Do you think that there is hope for the corporate world? You do? Absolutely. Yeah. I've met some incredible people doing amazing work. I know that there's still, like we've just been talking about, that stifling of being a bit outside the box. Mm -hmm. But it's happening. I'm, I'm seeing it happen. We just have to allow people to be a bit more open-minded. We have to do things a bit differently. What we're doing so far ain't working, is it? We're, we're in yeah. a mental health crisis. Things are not working. We know that we need to change things in the corporate world. I mean, I when I first started... As an accountant at my desk, sitting at my desk where I shouldn't have been sitting, um, but then maybe I wouldn't be here now. Mm -hmm. I had a massive computer, you know, with a big back on it, those old yeah. computers. Um, if the youngsters listening, they existed. And it was at the side of my desk. So my, my chair was sort of twisted and my keyboard was here and I'd have all my files out on the desk. I still have a bit of a, a, a bad neck, really, from that. If you started in that workplace now, there is categorically no way that that desk setup would have happened because we have health and safety. You have to have your desk set out a certain way at an arm's length and in line and everything else because we learned that this was not good for us. So we have health and safety, as boring as that seems sometimes, to make sure that we are proactively preventing those things from happening like bad backs, stiff necks, whatever it is. I believe we're going that way in terms of mental health, but we're on the journey. Because if I even think back again to when I first started in corporate, was anybody even mentioning that word? Was anybody even talking about it? No. Now they are. But we're still on that journey of normalising it, normalising the conversation and learning about what we can do to help people. Because ultimately, it's not just the organisation's responsibility it's also the individuals. Yeah, for sure. Shared responsibility for me is something that I always talk about. It's so important. I need to have self-awareness. I need to, if I wanted to have a six-pack, I need to go to the gym to get the six-pack. You can give me all of the information, but I have to do the work. It's the same with your mental health. It's the same with mindfulness. But also, my organisation, the place where I'm working, should be safe for me and should provide me with a certain element of support. So that shared responsibility is really important. And but I'm isn't, seeing isn't, that. isn't the corporate world in general designed to stress you? I mean, in an interesting way, you, you could manage another one extra client if you're a little more stressed, right? I mean, a little bit of stress we know is okay, don't we? Because it helps us run away from the tiger, those short bursts of stress. There's no tiger but anymore. We don't. That's no, point. I know. That's the yeah. point. You know, one of the things I was doing that Sky News interview, and, and the idea is that we're not running away from the tiger anymore. We're running for the profits. <laughs> and it's quite interesting, really, because it's almost designed as if no, nothing's ever enough.
And I read a quote, actually, I think it was this morning. I read a quote that said something like, and we've all heard this before, but I think we really need to start taking it in. Nobody will remember the extra hours you stayed at work more than your loved ones. Because you probably won't even be in that role or whatever. The people that are going to still be in your life are those people that you are not spending that with. And I'm not saying that broad brush, that's the same for everybody, but... You could have one extra client. You could do a few more hours work. But what is the actual point? And I think that, again, so much of it comes back to mindfulness for me because we are on autopilot a lot of the time. We just automatically say, yes, I'll do that extra client. Yes, okay, I'll stay a bit later. You feel like you're doing a good thing. We all want to do the right thing. We want to be helpful. If you have more self-awareness, you actually can recognize that that's probably not good for me. I probably shouldn't be doing that. Oh, don't I have some other responsibilities? Shouldn't I be doing this with my family? Should I be doing X, Y, Z? Am I already at capacity? Can I actually take on that extra thing? But we don't, we don't have that internal narrative a lot of the time. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's also a definition, really. It's like, what matters more to me? What is success? Is success to spend an hour extra with my family? Or is success to bring a, little, you know, a couple of dollars more to my family? Mm-hmm. And I think people mix that up as well. Mm-hmm. And again, again, it comes back to that self-awareness. We were talking right at the beginning when we were talking about me finding my purpose and making those decisions that felt right for me. You have to define your success. That is up to you because it might be that you earn the money to, for your family to have, whatever. But you have to know why you're doing what you're doing. You can't just be on the treadmill. How do you do that? So you, you're in a corporate training course. You're training them to become aware. One of the things that you should train them to become aware of is you're working too much. That's not good for the corporate if they become aware of that because now they're going to work less. You say that, but if we look at all the statistics around presentees and productivity, actually, a lot of the time, if you're working someone to that point of being so stressed out, and I've been there, actually, you might be present, you might be doing those extra hours, but are you actually getting anything good done are you actually being that productive probably not and so I think actually when we're thinking about the corporate world it's good to have people who know how how much they're getting stressed out know what contributes to their stress know how to empty that stress cup know how to look after themselves that makes a healthy individual and a healthy individual has the capability to work well for you Having someone perpetually stressed out, you're not going to be getting the best out of them. We work well under small amounts of stress, but but yeah. not not long term. Yeah. So that is just a complete lie. Investing in your people to have self-awareness, proactive mental health care is the best thing that you can do. And some of the people that I still know who work in the corporate world, someone I was actually talking to this morning, being given time off work to go and be with his father, who's going to pass away, he's just being given that time off. He's not working. He's That is a good employer because they recognize the value of having a human being that feels valued and cared for and 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 supported through a time of stress yeah. and ultimately when he does return to work he will do a good job because that's how it that's how the interaction between humans work yeah what, what would you tell the individuals forget the corporate now sure. because not mm-hmm. that, i mean if some of our listeners today are corporate leaders this is a very good advice but if you're working at a place that's stressing you or that's not prioritizing your well-being, what is your advice to that person? <laughs> oh, yeah. Le- leave was, would have been a good word as well. But yeah. okay. I didn't want you to be disappointed in me. Just, by, just leave. You see, again, like I say, it's easy to say that, isn't it, when you've done it. But when you have responsibility, you might have a mortgage to pay. It's not always that easy. But for me... Number one is the awareness. The awareness. So you've already got the awareness that you're not okay, that you're not happy, that you're not valued, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then what has to happen is action. Yeah, intention then action. Yeah. So you need to start looking. Yeah. And what? And what's the worst that can happen? You're already in a bit of a shitty situation, or you're not feeling happy. Things don't feel right. Change is scary, but actually. It's either stay where you are and be miserable. You change and you might be miserable, but you're still no worse off. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I think it's just, we just get so comfortable. 
we get so in that autopilot and we get so worried about what's going to happen. But you just don't know. Mm. You just don't know. And I think that if you're in that situation, just sit down. And especially if you have got somebody to talk to or a partner or whatever, like say it out loud, air it. That always helps. You know, when I'd have like a accountancy equation, and as soon as you say it out loud, you, you, not, you can't figure something out. You've been working on it all day and you say it out loud to someone. And as soon as you say it out, you, out loud, you go, oh. I get it, yeah. So that communicate, it comes back to these things. Be curious is like my favorite thing to say. Be curious about what could you do? Instead of that fight with, I don't like this. Life is a roller coaster. Yeah. And it, it's always going to be like that. You can either hold on tightly and grit your teeth and be exhausted by holding on. Or you just put your arms in the air and go, whoa. <laughs> like, you know, let's see, you know, let's see what's going to happen. Because it's, it's going to be up and down, whichever you do. And that be curious for me is, what are the options? What are the different way to look at this? It is quite a different approach, honestly, because... In many ways, I think people are motivated mostly by, you know, I have this, it's shitty, everything else is going to be shitty. You're making me curse too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, everything else is going to be as shitty. Why should I even bother? Because at least you would tell yourself, I bothered. At least you will tell yourself, I had the compassion to take a chance if I'm not feeling amazing. And I, I think even as you stay, even as you are in a place where you're stressed, it doesn't have to be your employer. It could be also your habits. Mm-hmm. It's, it could also be, you know, choices that you make. Mm-hmm. And I think that awareness, that engagement is really necessary. Yeah, huge. And I was working with a lady um, at, the, at the mental health charity again, and her therapist said to her, just remove the stressful situations. The stressful situations were her family dynamic and her job. Now, yes, she can leave a job, but not immediately. She did have rent to pay. I just thought that was really bad advice, even though I'm saying be curious. and check. It, It's not just get rid of the stressful situation. Stressful situations are going to happen in life. It's, ine- it's inevitable. It's always going to happen. So it's a, coming back to that, how do you deal with it? And, you know, we had a conversation about what action can you take? So if you are in a situation that really is difficult to leave or change, the curiosity maybe is about actually how can I have new conversations, different conversations? Is there somebody else that I can speak to either in the family or the organisation or whatever that could help me make a change to change the situation that is stressing me out? Something's not right here. Is there something we can do in the situation? It's still the same thing though. It's still the awareness and then the curiosity and the communication. It's still the awareness, I believe, the intention that I will try to change this. And then the curiosity in terms of how can I, and then either action or communication, Mm. I think is really important. I just just love the word curiosity because it is so much softer and gentle. It's not clinical. It's not like I've got to do this. Curious, you can just, can just take you one step at a time, just to see, just to see what might be. And I just, I just love that. Mm. But, but that's not always you, Amy, I think. <laughs> is it? But I'm trying to say, if it's somebody in a situation like this. Yeah. I mean, the other side of you that is quite intriguing for me is how, I wouldn't say irresponsible, but kiddish. Sometimes you are. Like, you, you take chances on things that most people wouldn't. And in my work... I've had the honor and the privilege and the joy of spending time with some of the world's top spiritual leaders and teachers and, you know, incredible, incredible thinkers. And what I found with almost every single one of them is they literally acted like kids. Like literally they were just having the time of their life, laughing out loud, playing, being curious, as you're saying, peeing. A little naughty, almost. It's quite interesting. Huh? And, and these are people that on camera are, you know, sitting in front of audiences of tens of thousands of people, especially Eastern teachers, by the way. But you get closer to them as a human and they're like literally a four-year-old, like a six-year-old. This balance, however, again, works against succeeding in the corporate world, doesn't it? You know, you can't appear to be playful when you're pitching for a, for a corporate job. I guess what's happened, Mo, in my life is that I am I am a certain way. I've never I've never really 
I've never really thought about it too much. We were having a conversation and, I'm, and I've just said, well, that's just me. You know, I never planned. This isn't like a plan or a grand plan or anything. I, I, I just am me. And I think what's happened in my life is that I've been really fortunate to have people around me that have embraced that and allowed me in a way, because I know that some situations don't allow that to almost flourish. And when you get that, it grows. And so I think I'm fortunate to have had parents that have encouraged that, best friends that have encouraged that, and work colleagues that have encouraged that. For people to say to me, you know, at school growing up or in my work or whatever, oh, here comes trouble, or call me a nutter or, you know, whatever. Not in a mean way, just in a, in a jovial way. And just embracing that and then being told, oh, we liked that idea because it was different. Or... I've been ridiculous and silly and worn spotty socks with bright red shoes when I, that happened, by the way, the talk of the town for the day, you know, yeah. uh, that I wore I know, spotty socks know, and bright red shoes. Um, but I mean, uh, j just for the record in front of everyone, I was joking with Amy before uh, we, we decided to film here at Kevin's. And I said, Amy, I will need a minion to help me with the setup. And she was like, so should I wear a yellow t-shirt and a blue overall? And I was like, are you serious? And she said, yeah, is that what, you know, <laughs> I mean, sitting in front of tens of thousands of people on a podcast <laughs> and you would actually do it. Yeah. You would. And, uh, and I feel like, challenge accepted, there will be a photo <laughs> of us at some point and everybody listening to this yeah. can absolutely go and follow it up. There will be a photo of me and you together at some point that I am going to be dressed in dungarees and a yellow t-shirt and I will be with you. And, and, I, and I would dress like Drew, like I, I'll, I'll have the... <laughs> yeah. It's funny actually because the, my favourite uh, minion is called Kevin. <laughs> So just for Kevin. So yeah. Uh, but 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 once again, you you didn't answer my question. There is a fearlessness in you know almost a non-apologetic approach of saying I'm going to do this my way. Yeah, I just. But it's hard. It is hard for me to say. When I left, so when I left my my little boy, dad, you know, when we split, we're, we're amicable, we co-parent, it's great. When I did that. When I moved to a different town on my own with a toddler and I was still suffering with postnatal anxiety a little bit and I left my 19-year accountancy career, people would say to me, that's so brave. But I didn't feel brave. I just felt like I was doing the right thing. And I understand why people say fearless and brave because so many people don't do it. But I find it hard to help to instill that in other people other than to just say, as you get to know yourself... It doesn't feel bravery. It just feels right. Does that does that make any sense? It doesn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't at all. Because, you know, so 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 in my in my mind, and I'll say this openly, I believe that planning and temporal thinking and future centricity is a masculine trait. And that playfulness and creativity and flow are feminine traits. And that when we are placed in a world that is challenging us with masculine challenges, we tend to respond with masculine traits, right? And then when things don't go very well, we tend to exaggerate the use of our masculine traits. So when we get into those situations where we have to become responsible and adults and you know think about the future and all of that, we plan and then we fail and so we plan more and then we fail more and then we say we must, we must have done it wrong we should do it better and and you know that cycle keeps continuing and i found that those who found the highest wisdom realize that there's always another way to live and that other way to live is that in my personal point of view is that when you're true to yourself even though you're going to be resisted by those who are not accepting that, you will be at your best. You will be at your highest performance. You will be at your least resistance. You'll not be wasting cycles of your life doing crap. I'm cursing. You know, crap that you're not very good at. And I think what ends up happening, however, is that only when you see evidence of trying that a couple of times in your life and then life doesn't collapse and you don't end up homeless, is where you start to say, maybe I should try a little more and maybe I should try a little more. Agreed. But have you always, I mean, you're stuck in a, 
in a, an accounting job for 19 years, so you were not always that way. But the thing is, I wasn't hating my accountancy job for all those years. Because... Liar. <laughs> You're lying. Because, because and for me, it was I, I was achieving. I quite liked just achieving what I set out to achieve. And I was set out to qualify, and that's what I did. Then You are not qualified to, to, to actually close a general ledger properly. <laughs> yes. Because your character would actually look at it after it, uh, after it's reconciled, and you would go like, "Let's mess it up a little bit, right? Wouldn't you? That's the truth. <laughs> it's so unlike your nature for a, for a general ledger to reconcile. Yeah, but I really liked reconciling. Yeah, it's quite a weird sort of satisfaction when everything works. Did, did you, did I was you, a rebel at the weekends, Mo. Did, <laughs> did you break something else in the office at the time? Rebel at the weekends. No, let, let's not talk about that. I don't think this is a conversation for public uh, consumption. Uh. Yeah. So I'll close with a future-looking statement. If you had your way with Mental Health Rebellion, what would you like to see happen? I would like to see more investment in helping people look after themselves. Let me elaborate a little bit. As you were talking about earlier, and this isn't just for the corporate world, in general, and I know the tides are turning, but it's always been that we support mental health when there's crisis or there's yeah. mental ill health. Yeah. And I talk about, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, being a mental health in-betweener, that we, we all go through terrible times. We all go through amazing times. Sometimes there is a traumatic event, but we can deal with that. Sometimes there isn't. There's just lots of, of small troubling events. But whatever it is, for me, most of us are on this spectrum. We have mental health. All of us have mental health. There is, there is no getting away from that. It's like physical health. We all have it. It doesn't mean mental ill health. And I think we need to rewind, come back a bit and, and look at how we're proactively taking care of our mental health and stop treating it yeah. as if it's mental ill health, as if it's at crisis point. Mm. So when I'm talking about corporations, you need to invest in, that's why I love mindfulness. Like I just do, it's my absolute passion because you invest in something like a mindfulness course, you are giving people in your organisation investment so they believe that you care about them and you're giving them a skill for life that then impacts on the other people around them and then you have this ripple effect. It's things like that that we need to invest in. How are we taking care of ourselves proactively? That's what I want to see. And I want to see the conversations around mental health and mindfulness be a bit less serious. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. we, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, let's just uh, enjoy this horribly painful conversation. <laughs> but it's not all horrible and painful. That's my point. Some mental health, sometimes it's absolutely fine. I think the next when, day when we're talking about mental health, it's wonderful when you're talking about mental illness which is which is what most people are talking about. yes exactly yeah and we don't get away from the fact that there is mental illness however it still doesn't have to all be so serious because the majority of the time if you are having conversations about it and it is proactive hopefully you're not at the point of mental illness so we can have a laugh we can have the playfulness and the curiosity that's what that's what i want for people we mm. we know that that that's good for us as humans. I want us to have that. It's been good for me. And, you know, I feel like everybody has a struggle. I've had a struggle. You've had a struggle. I want us to be able to have open, honest conversations and find the things that can help us proactively before we get to that crisis point. What a wonderful dream. I, I agree with you, actually. I have to be sort of exaggerating, but I agree with you. There is much more awareness in terms of we have to address the issue, especially in the corporate world, by the way. I mean, my work with Unstressable, for example, is really taking off in the corporate world with, with lots and lots and lots of, of corporates finally admitting openly and saying, we're stressed. We need to be unstressable, or at least we need to de-stress, right? It's just the angle from which we need to cover it. I mean, again, Unstressable, interestingly that you say this, to me in my mind has always not been about I'll wait for you to be stressed and then I'll, I'll, I'll show you how to unstress, right? It's all been about how do I make sure? Of course, if you're stressed now, here are a few ways to come back and be calm, but let's not get you back there. And I think that's really the challenge that most corporates, most Western approach to 
well-being and and actually health sort of misses out on. And not, and not just corporates. You yeah. think about us as individuals. Yeah. There's so many things that we do to look after ourselves. And we don't always do them perfectly. As we've said loads of times, we're imperfect humans. But we know that we should be eating a certain way, exercising a certain way for our physical health. It's now about having those conversations and that awareness and that honesty around we need to be doing these things for our mental health. Yeah. We are living in a modern world and our cave people brains are living in this modern world that's really difficult. We have so many distractions. We have we have so many pressures. We're living in these brick boxes. It's, it's not good for us, but we are where we are. So actually, it, not just in corporates, but just in general, like you say, how are we going to look after ourselves more proactively? How are we going to teach our kids to look after themselves more proactively? We say to them, you can go to the gym, you, you know, walk instead of drive. How are you doing that for your mind? And, and I think we're slowly getting there, but it's about having that conversation now. I love this. I think, <laughs> I, I, really, I really think this is where it should go. I'm, and, you know, when I really think about it, I don't know actually if I managed to capture this because if, if you guys listening to us were here in the room, you would feel that authentic, rebellious playfulness and not giving a shit, which I have to say is inspiring, right? It is the idea of taking a very serious conversation and having it done like real humans, kids would do it, right? Because as a matter of fact, if you gave the the world's most challenging problems to kids, they'll probably solve them much better than our political readers. But yeah, I, I think it is a challenge. It is something that is going to become more of a challenge over the next few years. And I love that you take it with a, with a lighter spirit. Thank you so much for being here. And for all of you listening, I have to say, I, I don't know if the cameras have managed to capture what inspired me about Amy. Amy's truly living in her flow. She's basically saying, I'm aware of who I am. I'm gonna live that way. And yes, a lot of people will discard me as irrelevant or ineffective, but there will be those who will see me for who I am, for what I stand for, for what I want to be. And I will make a massive difference to them, not through serious filling their brains with knowledge, but through vulnerability, awareness, and sharing through fun and a bit of cursing, if you feel like it, and playfulness. I think there is something there. I truly and honestly believe that there is something for us to stop taking the topic so seriously, but perhaps to flow a little more with what we really are. It's, uh, it's one more of those conversations where I just think to myself, I'm the most blessed human I know for the opportunity to take some of my favorite moments in life and some of my favorite people and introduce them to you and just, you know, have the most interesting conversations and put them on camera. So for that, I'm really grateful for the time that you give me to listen to Slow Mo every week. Help me grow, please, because I think it makes a big difference. It allows me to get even more interesting conversations on the podcast. And uh, yeah, tell your friends about this. Reach out to Amy if you think there is something that you liked or disliked about the conversation, create awareness that we need to be proactive and change. And yeah, rate the podcast five stars or post it on social media or do the stuff that modern people do. It really does work. I am grateful for your support when you do that. And I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.